0: podcast. Museums around the world are returning artifacts to their countries of origin. One in London has sent back its entire collection of Benin bronzes to Nigeria's government. It's one example of a trend of historic items being returned from across Europe, Middle East and the Americas. So how can other countries ensure their cultural treasures are given back and be displayed for generations to come? I'm Adrian Finnegan, and this is the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help to define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests then for today's discussion. From London, we're joined by Barnaby Phillips. He's the author of the book Loot, Britain and the Benin Bronzes, and a former Al Jazeera correspondent. From Utrecht in the Netherlands, Jos van Burden. Uh, a senior researcher of colonial collections and restitution at Amsterdam's Free University. And from Uppsala in Sweden, Luigi Prada, an assistant professor of Egyptology at Uppsala University. Good to have you with us, uh, gentlemen. Barnaby, let's start with you. Uh, The Benin Bronzes have become emblematic of this whole debate about cultural antiquities and where they belong. Uh, It's put some major Western museums in a difficult position, hasn't it, regardless of their intentions?
1: Yes, I think you're alluding, Adrian, to the British Museum, which has the largest uh, collection of Benin bronzes of all, almost a thousand. And of course, which has a unique symbolic importance in this discussion, but indeed in so many other discussions to do with restitution and provenance, uh, because it is the National Museum of the country, which was responsible Responsible for looting these items. I think events have moved very, very quickly. And as you say, they've left the British Museum badly isolated. Just uh, three or four years ago, the British Museum was working together with other Western museums and they'd reached a sort of compromise deal with their counterparts in Nigeria, which the British Museum was quite happy with, whereby they're all going to lend back parts of their Benin Bronze collection in rotation. Well, things have moved on incredibly quickly and suddenly any major Western museum which is not offering to give back its Benin Bronzes, it's finding itself very much under the spotlight.
0: Jos van burten uh, in Utrecht. With so many Western institutions now accepting uh, that returning cultural and antiquities or at least... Uh, the property titles of objects, is the right thing to do, why are there some people who vehemently oppose it still? Do, does, do their arguments have any merit?
2: Um, yeah, well, they have had a merit for a long time, but things are changing, and especially the sphere is changing, the atmosphere, and I even would argue that art dealers and, and private collectors and some museums... They hide a little bit from the discussion, as they are scared, you know, because the the the, the mood at the moment is very much pro restitution. Of course, one of their arguments has always been the ability mm-hmm. of heritage institutions in Africa, you know, to to preserve these objects. But this, you know, slowly um, is disappearing. I remember that, say, in the in the Dutch and the European media. In the 90s and 2010s, and so in this, uh, this ability to preserve dominated the news. And now it's much more the right of these people who have been dispossessed to get their treasures back.
0: Luigi Prada in uh, uh, Uppsala. Um, Where does Egypt's government stand on the issue of uh, of restitution? As we were saying, so many precious ancient Egyptian artefacts have been looted over the years, and the problem is that nobody really knows where many of them are right now. Where where does the the Egyptian government stand in terms of... or even start in terms of getting them back?
3: Well, there's been a lot of discussion about the restitution, to begin with, of some very high-profile monuments or artefacts... I mean we mentioned the British Museum so of course the Rosetta Stone is high up on the list uh, comparable to the partner of marbles when it comes to relationships between the British Museum and Greece uh, uh, but beyond that uh, um I think that the the topic is a particularly hot one for um Egypt and western museum institutions also because of how much um how many illegal antiquities have left the country over the last decade or so. At the time of the Arab Spring, with the political upheaval, of course, um, there was a perfect time for antiquity looters and um, sort of like less than ethical um, dealers to um, um, illegally export antiquities from the country. So, indeed, the, the government of Egypt uh, has filed requests for um, restitutions. And it, it is it is indeed a complicated issue. I mean, it's something... We tend to think of museums as some sort of like cages where, where ancient objects are you know, put on display, but basically they just get covered in dust. But museums are cultural institutions. And so museums change as our culture and our societies change. So the topic of restitution is very much a valid topic. And I think what really matters is that we should really not think of it as a zero-sum game. There is this tendency of imagining that if the British Museum is to return this high-profile item, then it's lost for the British public or international tourists coming to London. Uh, But it's not that. As we heard, there's also suggestions of collaborations between countries and museum institutions, long-term loans. So we really should think of it not as a zero-sum game, like somebody's gain is somebody's loss, because it's not that. We're talking about world heritage, after all. Uh, Barnaby, there are challenges, though, aren't there, for a country like
0: Nigeria uh, here. I mean, what Perhaps you could outline some of those challenges for us. I mean, there are opportunities, too, but, but is there a danger that Nigeria could squander those opportunities?
1: Uh, it's a risk, yes. It, it is It is a moment of incredible opportunity, but also jeopardy. But, Going back into the past and untangling what happened is inevitably complicated. When the British invaded the Kingdom of Benin in 1897, Nigeria didn't exist. Nigeria was a British creation that came into existence um, some 17 years later. And it wasn't something necessarily that people who lived within its territories had ever envisaged. So we've seen that play out, for example, uh in the case of the Benin Bronzes. There are different interests uh, within Nigeria, all of whom are acutely interested in the return of the bronzes. There is a federal government with the headquarters in Abuja, which talks about building a national museum. Well, it's talked about doing it for decades, but there's no sign of it existing. Uh, There is a state government, Edo State, which is very uh, involved in this issue. And then, of course, there is the Oba, the King of Benin, Uh, who is the great-great-grandson of the man who was toppled by the British uh, in 1897 and from whose uh, palaces the treasures were looted. So somebody who has an undoubted moral authority in this case. But I think, in broad terms, I think Luigi had it absolutely right. We shouldn't see it as a uh, zero-sum game. It is, I believe, firmly in the case of the Benin Bronzes and indeed many other treasures, there is is a a real win-win situation. There's no reason why terrible wrongs of the past shouldn't be addressed, that people in countries like uh, Nigeria or Ghana or Cameroon shouldn't be able to reconnect with their wonderful heritage, that it should be returned to them, that seems only right, but that many of these treasures are world treasures and they should continue to circulate around the great cities of, of, of our world, Britain, New York, Paris, Beijing, Delhi, Sydney, and so on.
0: Jos, do you want to pick up on on that for me? And and going back to to something that you were saying a few moments ago, um, for many years, those who've resisted the calls uh, have made the tenuous argument that the artefacts wouldn't receive proper care if returned to places like Nigeria and and other countries from where they were stolen. I mean, that, that argument, as far as you're concerned, is no longer valid.
2: Well, the point is that, you know, the Africans would say... Now finally, the Europeans are admitting that they have robbed these objects, and now the robbers they want to make the defa- to define the conditions under which uh, these objects will be given back. And if you talk with Africans, and that has also occurred in the Benin Dialogue Group, this issue of the ability to preserve, to to go correct with it, you know, has been discussed widely. And it's only because there's a, a certain atmosphere of trust has been created. And so the Africans admit themselves that there is a problem in this respect, but we should leave it to them to solve it. Luigi,
0: perhaps you can clear something up for me for a minute. Just put a, uh, and if, if you can't, we'll, we'll, we'll put it to to Jos to and, uh, and Barnaby. C- can you explain the legal differences between the terms restitution, which we've mentioned a lot so far in the programme, return... Uh, and where the term good conscience comes into it?
3: Well, the word word good... I can definitely tell you about the word good conscience. I mean, it's also like trying to differentiate between uh, um, uh, restitution, like legal issues and also ethical issues. Uh, So, for example, the restitution of... uh, illegally uh, smuggled antiquities. Uh, you mentioned at the start, earlier on in the program the coffin of Nejamank at the Metropolitan Museum. Um, I can tell you for a fact, uh, within my professional environment, uh, um, when it comes to museum creators and academics, nobody would ever act in bad faith. Um, but there are serious problems with the antiquities market. The documents of the coffin had been completely um, uh, um, made up and falsified. Hence, uh, once the um, uh, truth came to the surface, the coffin was straight away returned to the government of Egypt and its legitimate owners. But the problem here goes beyond the idea of uh, legal um, repatriation um, uh, and where the legal rights stand. It's also about ethical, it's also about reparations of historical wrongs. Um, uh, Again, uh, the legal entities that in the past uh, um, perhaps signed contracts and uh, and handed over antiquities to European powers, uh, those legal entities no longer exist. Thinking about, again, the British Museum and in this case the Parthenon Marbles, well, at the time, Greece was part of the Ottoman Empire, so the official authorities in the end um, answered to pad the powers in Istanbul. The same, in fact, also in the 19th century for Egypt, it was a province of the Ottoman Empire. So that's really um, uh, some. That's really actually the problem that I think is is more difficult to define. Again, where I think that nobody would disagree when it comes to repatriating illegal antiquities. The problem is the ethical issues, and so again, where do we decide? How far do we decide to go? when trying to fix the wrongs of history.
0: Luigi, I I, I just want to ask you to take a a little sidetrack here for a moment. There are uh, cases where valuable artefacts have been moved in order to preserve and to protect them in times of conflict, especially uh, in recent times in in the Middle East. Tell us your your experience of that and how it, it differs from the case of uh, the Benin bronzes and, and other uh, stolen artefacts. I'm thinking in particular about places like Palmyra and how, in times of conflict, you pr- protect sites of archaeological significance.
3: That is a major issue. I mean, uh, yes, Palmyra is, is a good case. But, um, um, first of all, in that case, much of it was uh, architectural monuments, so how do you move or protect those? And also like the idea that moving antiquities somewhere else uh, keeps them safe... Uh, especially to some other countries, well, it's highly arbitrary. Um, many, uh, many people will actually object and say that a lot of uh, antiquities, including Egyptian antiquities, were lost during World War II in Europe. Um, plenty of Egyptian collection I can mention in Germany, Leipzig, but also Berlin, plenty of uh, fantastic antiquities. We only have photographs of them because they were destroyed during the the bombings of World War II. So in that case, uh, those things would have been much safer had they stayed back in Egypt uh, um, or in other countries uh, um, uh, in Asia Asia, as opposed to being in Europe. So once again, where do you trace this line? It's highly arbitrary, and there's also the risk of, once again, repeating... um, uh, Patronizing attitudes of the past.
0: Yes, not all artifacts in Western museums were stolen or taken by force. How, how does that complicate the discussion that we're having here?
2: Well, the, it complicates particularly the provenance research. If I, if you allow me to give an example, the, the Belgian federal government, they have um, developed a law which says that objects. That are proven to have been stolen from Congo, for instance, become automatically the property of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So this property title is transferred. Now they have investigated this, especially for the major Africa Museum in Tervuren near Brussels. And they have about 80,000 objects from Congo. And they have calculated that of these 80,000, 883 are proven to have been stolen. Now that means, and they argue that 45,000 they have been corrected, they have been collected in a correct way, and 35,000 they do not know; they still have to investigate. Now this is a big, big problem because there is very little documentation about these objects. So probably we will never know precisely whether this is booty or not or whether this was confiscated or, or, you know, acquired in a disputable manner. So how do we handle that? And in my view, you know, the discussion in Europe is currently very much focused on war booty and our feelings of, of shame, of guilt maybe, about how we appropriated them. And maybe it should be much more oriented towards the needs of the countries of origin for collections that they need. And if I may give an example, I know that the Indonesia, the former Dutch colony, has a restitution committee and they work now along this line. And they just say, what do we need to have a representative collection of our own uh, cultural and historical past? Barnaby, we we heard in Harry's
0: report earlier on about this 1963 law which uh, prevents the British Museum uh, returning uh, some, not all, but some, Uh, of the artefacts in in its possession. To what extent is is the British government in in particular passing the buck? Uh, The Department for for Digital Culture, Media and Sport in the UK has said decisions relating to the care and management of their collections are a matter for the trustees of each museum. Should should there be more government intervention here, a a, a driven policy here to to guide how museums act?
1: I, I, I think the British government is being a bit disingenuous there. Yes. So, I mean, just just to fill people in, the the British Museum Act uh, prevents the British Museum from permanently returning or deaccessioning, as museum people say, objects in its collection, with a few exceptions for which the law has changed in recent years, Uh, objects uh, stolen during the Holocaust and and, uh, human body parts, human remains. Well, of course, if the law can change uh, for those exceptions, why can't it change for, say, objects uh, looted during the colonial period? people ask. But the point is that British Museum directors and trustees in the past have hidden behind this law. It's been a convenient excuse for inactivity. Nowadays, I'm not quite so sure that is the case. In fact, I see the British Museum as a rather divided place uh, and some uh, curators within it are distinctly uncomfortable about the situation they're in, but they are unable to permanently return Uh, the Benin Bronzes, or for that matter, uh, the Parthenon Marbles, until the law changes. Mm. And that would require a vote in Parliament. And if you look at the current configuration of the British Parliament with the Conservative uh, majority, that seems extremely unlikely to happen uh, short of a general election and a new political configuration. So it is a, a national political issue Uh, which genuinely does leave museums like the British Museum, but also other museums, uh, the V&A, the the National Gallery, uh, hamstrung on this issue, undoubtedly.
0: Uh, I want to spend uh, the last few minutes of the programme talking about the future. Luigi, um, you were talking earlier on about about how uh, the world can continue to enjoy uh, and learn from these objects. Um, Should we now expect you think to see ancient antiquities presented in digital form rather than in person you talked about uh, collections being loaned out to what extent does that water down their impact and 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 if we're seeing them in in bits if you like and not a full connection because it's been loaned out does that detract from the educational value of visiting a museum
3: Well, there's no doubt that that this is the direction where we're aiming in the future. There will be more and more um, museum experiences, uh, more than just walking through items. Uh, There will be more also replicas uh, because of uh, how now we are able to create uh, perfect quality replicas. Uh, But this also doesn't concern just uh, artifacts and objects in museum collections. This also concerns uh, monuments Um, I mean, if we think about some of the earliest uh, uh, prehistoric uh, um, uh, art examples in the caves of Lascaux in France, nobody can actually visit the original, because just human presence there would mean uh, the, the, the decay and permanent damage to the original pigments. So everybody visits a replica. We have similar situations in Egypt for some decorated tombs that are too fragile. Um, So yes, indeed, that's the direction. And uh, I don't think that it detracts to the educational value of the experience. Actually, in a way, it can add to it because of the multimedia approach that we can use. If nothing else, I do appreciate that it might detract from that emotional connection that one might have with what is original and ancient object. So there are, there are still things that we need to fix. This is also part of the conversation that we still uh, need to have. We haven't sorted it all, it all out yet. Mm-hmm. Indeed.
0: OK, Yes, we have about a minute left on the programme. What, what
2: will the Museum of, of the Future look like? Um, well, I'm I'm not sure whether it should have digital objects, because the, uh, for digital objects, I mean, to, to link up with what Luigi says, is that the, the, the objects we should distinguish between, on the one hand, ceremonial religious objects, and on the other, maybe household utensils. Now, for the latter, digital repatriation can be a solution. But for the first, I know from most countries of origin, they want the originals to come back. And then, if they allow it, we can we can have made um digital copies for in our museums. But I think in... In the, um, our, the museum of the future, it should not be about objects, first of all. It should not be about stories, first of all. It should be about the relationship between former colonized and former colonizers. And this relationship, in the relationship, you discuss, for instance, can we show ancestral remains? Can we show mummies? Can we show these sensitive pictures, photographs, etc.? So it's a matter of dialogue for the museum of the future. And that, I think, is a
0: great place to leave it. Many thanks indeed, uh, gentlemen, for being with us Barnaby Phillips in London, uh, Jos van Burden in Utrecht, and Luigi Prada in Uppsala. And that's it for this edition of the Inside Story podcast. It was produced by Damian Lay, Osama Alani, Isabel Mavzeeva and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Sentil Mararutu The programme was edited by Sarun Murali, Linan Gayan and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode and thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Wednesday. <laughs>